the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they unto Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went up into an upper room, where abode both Peter and James and John, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued in one accord in prayer and supplication, which the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about 120, Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of his ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. And it, is, it was known unto all the, the, to all the dwellings, or excuse me, to all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Aseldama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his, bicker, 
bishopric let another take. Wherefore of these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph, called Barnabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. First Corinthians chapter 3. I'd like to read as we begin this morning. Verse 10 and 11. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, this is the Apostle Paul writing as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I went to the library this past week, found what I thought to be a helpful DVD sitting on the shelf. This particular DVD highlighted the home inspection process. Some of you out there don't need a DVD. I do. There was this man walking around the exterior and the interior of this house, pointing out what to look for as you walk through your own house. When it comes time for home inspection. It was a very timely piece. In fact, it became family fun viewing that night. The whole family gathered around and we watched together. This gentleman was talking about the ins and outs of the home inspection. And we watched as he entered the room and he would look and shine that flashlight around in the corners and take a look at the walls and the ceilings and He had this pattern and habit of standing in the middle of the room and just shining the light around in the walls and the corners of each room he entered. And then he went into the crawl space. And all the while he was pointing out these warning signs. Moisture, cracks in the foundation blocks, mold issues. And he spoke of how a journey under the house structure is worth its time. 
This is coming from a guy who's been doing this for 20 plus years. You learn a lot about the condition of the home by crawling underneath. And you know, I was able, as I went down with our home inspector, I was able to see some solid foundational structures in place in this new home. Nothing major, it seemed, to, to fix. A few minor things, perhaps, to consider. But nothing that would be a, a deal breaker. You know, coming back out of the crawl space, I felt, in some ways, a sense of mission accomplished. The house seemed to be built on a solid foundation. It didn't seem to be wasting away. It didn't seem to be infested with bugs, termites. It didn't appear to be in jeopardy of collapse. Praise the Lord for that. You see, the foundation is the very thing you build upon. Do you remember Jesus addressing some foundational issues at the conclusion of his Sermon on the Mount? You remember that? Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Let me read it in case you've forgotten. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was its fall. You see, foundational to being a Christian is obedience to his commandments. Amen? Foundational. Foundational to walking with Jesus is acquiring an ear to hear and eyes that see. The difference between these two men described in Matthew 7 is the foundation. One built on rock. The other builds on sand. You see, what you build upon in your life will come to light at some point. There's a principle in the scripture in Galatians. It says if you sow to the flesh, from the flesh you will reap what? Destruction. But if you sow to the spirit, from the spirit you will reap everlasting life. So the call here is for us to build rightly upon a solid foundation. We're going to see in the text here in Acts that that solid foundation is grounded in Jesus. But the question may come, how do I know whether the foundation is solid? You know, you can look at it, I suppose, and, and get, a, get a picture of whether it might be solid. Might look good. But I believe what Jesus is getting at here in that message, uh, that Matthew passage in chapter 7, this is a conclusion of his sermon. And he's bringing this to a close. 
it seems as though he's really saying here, if, if you really want to know about that foundation, if you really want to see how solid it is, it needs to go through the test of the rain and the floods and the wind blowing and beating against the house. Does it remain standing in the midst of the surrounding elements beating against it? How do you know that your own faith foundation is secure? Doesn't the Lord in His goodness... And I pause right there because there are times, I believe, in our lives when we may not see this as goodness of the Lord, but it no doubt is His goodness. Doesn't the Lord in His goodness take you through situations that test your faith? If you turn just briefly to Deuteronomy, give you an example. Chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 2, 3. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you. To know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Or, or what about the end of when you get to Judges there in chapter, chapter 2, near the beginning of the book? You might remember some of those words there, beginning in verse 20. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not heeded my voice, I also will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died, so that through them I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out immediately, nor did he deliver them into the hand of Joshua. Skip down to chapter 3, verse 4. And they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Or what about flipping into the New Testament, James chapter 1. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Or what about 1 Peter chapter 1, 3-9? through 9? It speaks of that testing as though it takes us through the fire and refines us, right? It's interesting how the Lord tests the foundations of your faith. He tests your love, does He not? By putting you around someone who is unloving. Have you ever thought about that? He tests your love not by putting you around a bunch of loving people, but by putting you in the context of someone who is unloving. He tests your patience by placing you in the context of waiting 
Anyone had to wait this week? Yeah? Yeah. He tests you by putting you in that context. Or he tests your self-control by placing you in the context of upset, angry people, people who are out of control. I have an opportunity to witness that quite often. In fact, every time I walk out on the court, I always remind myself this is an opportunity to practice self-control. He tests your joy by what? By unfavorable circumstances, perhaps? Will you trust him through the trial that comes your way? He tests your kindness Oftentimes by placing unkind people, difficult people, people that have no tact. (laughs) Puts those people in your path. What about the foundation upon which the church is built? Apostles, prophets, Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone, right? Ephesians 2. Is the church today building on this foundation? How is the church doing at weathering the constant barrage of storms beating against her? Is the church standing? On one hand, you might recall the words of Jesus speaking to how he is going to build his church and that the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So from that perspective, yes, the church is standing and will continue to stand because Christ said so. Operationally, though, in the midst of the torrential downpour of gusting winds, is the church today truly standing? Is she standing against the schemes of the evil one? Is she fighting what Paul says later on in Timothy, the good fight of faith? Is she fighting that that fight? Is she in that battle? Is she walking in unity, keeping in step with the Holy Spirit? Is the church today building rightly upon the truth of Jesus Christ or settling for something else? Because let's face it, if we're not building rightly upon the foundation of Jesus, we're missing the mark. That is to be the foundation. Is the church hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Or is she content walking in her own righteousness? Which, according to the Bible, is nothing more than filthy rags, right? Worthless. Has the church lost sight of what Paul writes so well as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 1? Has the church lost sight of the unfathomable riches available to her in Jesus Christ? What is the foundation for the church today? In changing times, has the church also seen fit to change out her foundation? Has the church swapped out her foundation in order to be relevant to today's church attender? I use that word with intentionality, church attender. Is the church more concerned about being cutting edge or holding fast to the pattern of sound words? is the foundation of Christ's church as recorded in this word that we have. 
Is it still recognizable in the year 2012? You see, as we begin to study the book of Acts and see the origins of Christ's church and observe the movement of the Holy Spirit fueling Christ's church, there's a need right here in the first three verses of Acts to be clear on the foundations of the faith. Luke is dedicating this second volume once again to Theophilus. But I believe a clear trumpet call is being sounded to the church today. The foundational truths of the gospel centered in the person of Jesus, they do not change. Praise the Lord. They don't change. You see, because in just a few short verses, the Holy Spirit is about to come. The day of Pentecost is near. Jesus is about to ascend into heaven to be with his Father. You see, Acts is a continuation of the Gospel of Luke, written also by Luke, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit. And as you continue into the book of Acts, you will notice that the acts of the apostles are truly carried out by the acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the primary voice, if you will, in the book of Acts. Leading, guiding, teaching, illuminating, filling, empowering, ministering. You see, he is the main service provider, if you will, for advancing the gospel of Christ from the starting point in Jerusalem all the way to the ends of the earth. And that therein is the outline of the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. One writer penned, I believe, a very appropriate name for the book of Acts. A title he gives the in this way, the continuing words and deeds of Jesus by his spirit through his apostles. That's a great title. Very fitting to what we read in this book of Acts. So before the gospel moves forward, before the gospel advances into Judea and Samaria, before the Holy Spirit arrives on the scene in Acts chapter 2, I'd like us to take some time this morning to get clear on this foundation of the faith for which we are called to earnestly contend, right? Isn't that what Jude spoke of? The foundation is provided in the first three verses of Acts 1. So let's go beneath the house just a bit here and look and see. And here's the thing we know before we even dive in. This is what's exciting. This foundation we're going to look at is sure. It's solid. It's strong. It's built on the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. This foundation never crumbles. It never wears out. It's never in need of repair. It's the everlasting truth upon which we can stand. And so let's see how Luke, the historian... The physician, let's see how he details the account. What is it that characterizes the foundation of our faith? 
Acts 1, verse 1. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. All that Jesus began both to do and teach. Okay, so first thing here. The foundation rests upon a person. The foundation rests upon a person. We, we, we need to be real clear on that. Okay? Ephesians 2, 19-22. Paul says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation, here it is, of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together, being fitted together, being built together, for what purpose? For a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. You see, the foundation of our faith is rooted in the person of Jesus. Did you notice that in the first three verses in particular... Those first three verses are pointing toward Jesus. The foundation of your faith, the very truths you hold dearly as a Christian, they all funnel through a person, this person named Jesus. You see, people today want to talk about their good works. And no doubt, the Bible gives a place for those good works talks about how important those good works are. But it goes something like this. I've heard it. Maybe you have too. As long as my good works outweigh all the bad things in my life, I'm okay. I'm getting in. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say that. Okay? The Bible does not say that. The Bible from Genesis to Revelation shines the spotlight on a person named Jesus. And if you're trusting today in anything or anyone other than Jesus for your salvation, you are buying a lie from the evil one. I find it interesting today, especially in church circles. How many are pointing others toward Activities or, or events or conferences and camps and books and internet sites and blogs and radio programs and you can fill in the blanks. Some of which may be very good. But the foundation of the Christian faith is Christ. The foundation is anchored in Jesus. You know, the Bible in Hosea, Hosea the prophet, this is interesting. The Bible speaks of a time when God's people perished for lack of knowledge. You remember that verse? People rejected knowledge. You know, today, people have a great deal of knowledge. And yet, they're not very intelligent. We have all this information available to us today. There are some highly intelligent people today. But church, if you don't know Jesus, all of that other knowledge doesn't mean anything. 
you know, the knowledge accumulated. If, if we took time, if we took time to do an inventory, this would be interesting, on what knowledge people had. If we took time to do inventory of the knowledge stored in your heart and your mind, I wonder what percentage of that knowledge is saturated with what I just call Jesus knowledge. Do you know him? Do you just know about him? Is it sufficient for you to say that you attend a church gathering on Sunday? Or do you really have a a life-giving relationship with the Lord Jesus? Maybe you're here today and maybe you're looking for a church. Maybe you know somebody in that boat. They're looking for a church. Maybe you know that you need to get connected to a church. Or you know of others that have expressed their need to get connected to a church. But but perhaps you've never really considered why that is. I had a conversation this past week with a young man. Got to talking. And he said something like this. We was talking about church. He was asking me what I did out and all this. And I just kind of, whoop, Lord opened the door. So we had this conversation. And um, so he says, well, yeah, we, you know, we, we need to start going to church. Especially now since we have this little one. They just had a little one, the first one. And I just smiled. I'm sitting there. I'm just listening. And I said, uh, I wanted to encourage him for the comment that it was a positive statement toward the church. We need to, he, he saw his need to be in the church. But he, he connected his need to be in the church with his little one. His little one needed that. And I, I don't know. I, maybe I shouldn't have said it, but I, I, I just, I guess I couldn't help myself in the moment. I told him, you know, it is good to attend a church, but, but not primarily for a newborn you need the church you do and guess what your wife does too it's not just for little junior and then I then I kind of backed down I didn't say quite like that but (laughs) I I backed down a little bit and then I said I just kind of tapped him on the leg and I said but you'll understand your need to be connected to a church once you have a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ. You'll get it then. You'll understand it then. So I was planting some seeds. Planting some seeds. See, it's important. Because all this talk, and, and there's, believe me, I'm not advocating or saying it's wrong to invite somebody to church. No, please invite them. That's great, wonderful. All I'm saying is, people aren't truly going to be able to see their need to be connected into the church until they understand and see their need for a Savior and a relationship with Jesus. Perhaps we've gotten it backwards. If the foundation of our faith is built upon Jesus, if it is true that there is no other foundation apart from Jesus question then 
comes directly to us. Is there a daily dependency upon and gratitude for Jesus in your life? Do others see and hear you speak of Jesus? You see, if He is the person upon whom our faith foundation rests, why is there not more Jesus speak happening in our conversations? Why is Jesus so absent from the lips of those professing his name? You see, Jesus came to earth in the form of a man, fully man, right? Fully God. He took on flesh. He tabernacled among us. He walked in our shoes. He experienced the same temptations we face. And yet the scripture says he was without sin. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes, there's the invitation, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, Christianity, church, points you to a person. And in pointing toward Jesus, it makes one of the most exclusive claims. There is one way to God. We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? John chapter 14. One way to God, and that's through the person of Jesus, God's only Son. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said, John 14, 6. So the foundation of our faith rests solely upon the person of Jesus. But what else does this text say here? What about Jesus? What is the connection between Luke's former account and this person, Jesus? You know, I read the Gospel of Luke this week because of Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Did anybody else do that? Just curious. There are no, no penalties. I'm not going to have you stand in the corner if you didn't. But I, I hope that when you read the text, you ask questions of the text. When Luke talks about Acts chapter 1, verse 1, the former account, I hope you ask the question, what is the former account? And I also hope you would want to know what that former account is. See, it's easy just to read the words on the page, isn't it? Hmm? The former, yeah, yeah, I know he's talking about Luke. Okay, keep going. How about read it? How about delighting in that? You know, I'm excited about what we're going to be doing a little bit later today. We're going to get a chance to do that, right? To delight in that word together as a body. Psalm 119. In case some of you have forgotten, it's today. But you can't study it right now, you need to listen. (laughs) You see, I wanted to refresh myself once again with this former account that Luke speaks of here in Acts. And you know, it was a joy to read it. You see, that gospel is... Dedicated to the same Theophilus. Most excellent Theophilus. Luke chapter 1 verse 3. Uh, not quite sure who this Theophilus is. Right? His name's mentioned twice. But we really don't have any other details here. Okay? I mean I could put forward some speculation to you. I'm not going to do it. Okay? Someone who was, who was held in, in, in high esteem by, by, by Luke. Um, Luke writes his orderly account that Theophilus might know the certainty of the things which he was taught. 
So Luke perhaps is, is writing this orderly account of Jesus to solidify this man's faith or perhaps help him see his need for Jesus as the person upon whom his faith should rest. Okay? The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. So the foundation rests upon a person, and we saw that person is Jesus. But we see something else here, that the foundation communicates a message about this person. The foundation communicates a message about this person. It says all that Jesus began both to do and teach. All right? So that former account in Luke's gospel spoke of what Jesus began to do. That's a key word there. Began to do and teach. If that's so, then the book of Acts is going to speak of what Jesus continues to do and teach through his chosen apostles by means of the Holy Spirit. All right? Now, there's a misconception that's out there. Let's, let's be real clear on this. Here's, here's potentially some, some fuzziness. Let's try and make it clear. You maybe have, have heard this, that the Gospels are about Jesus and the book of Acts is about the Holy Spirit. Eh. Or the Old Testament is about God and the New Testament is about Jesus. There, there might be... Some, it might be some word speaking, some mingling of, of, of truth in those statements, but I'd like to point us to what I believe is something to be uh, a greater truth, greater understanding. See, Luke's gospel speaks of what Jesus began to do and teach. Acts speaks of what Jesus continued to do and teach by means of the Holy Spirit through his chosen apostles. Jesus doesn't disappear. When Acts gets going, he, he just doesn't vanish. It's no longer a solo ministry of the Holy Spirit. No, 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 no. How do I know that? Well, the Bible says very clearly that Jesus, while he was here, declared the Father, right? John 1, 18. Who's the Holy Spirit declaring? Jesus. Jesus. See, you can't, you can't just say... Acts is just, we're just talking the Holy Spirit. We're just going to roll with the Holy Spirit. No. Because the Holy Spirit is intricately connected with Jesus. The person on whom our foundation rests, right? We've got to be real clear on that. Let's, we're just putting out some, I'm hoping these aren't new things, but, but boy, we need to be reminded of these. We need to be clear on these things. See, all 66 books contained right here. They point toward this person named Jesus. Have you ever tried that as an exercise to take one of the books in the Old Testament in particular? It's a little easier, I, I understand, in the New Testament to do this. But Old Testament, it's a little bit more of a challenge to take a book. All right, I'll give you one. Leviticus. And I know when I say Leviticus, I know you're going, oh boy. Leviticus. See, there, there are many of you probably that, that read Genesis and Exodus. And if you didn't get bogged down in Exodus by all the stuff in the, in the tabernacle, then you get to Leviticus and it's like, screeching halt. But if we understand what the Bible says about all of Scripture, 
Does it not say that all scripture is profitable? So you might not get it right now. But that doesn't discount the fact that the scripture is profitable. Just means perhaps we have a little room yet to grow. We have a little bit more maturity ahead of us. Praise the Lord. We have some sanctifying yet to be done in our lives. So don't just rip out the pages of the parts you don't get. The parts you don't understand. The parts you can't maybe directly connect with. How does this apply to me? Let's also remember, that's not the first step in our reading anyway. See, sometimes we're too quick to go to that. We need to understand, why is this here? What is this written for? What's the purpose? And then we'll be able to build a bridge, Lord willing. So the foundation communicates a message about Jesus. The text says that the former account communicated something. It spoke of all that Jesus... Active agent, Jesus, spoke of all that Jesus began to do and teach. All right, so what did Jesus do? Let me just give a starter list. A great starter list from his former account. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. He preached the gospel to the poor. He healed the brokenhearted, proclaimed liberty to the captives, recovered the sight to the blind, set at liberty those who were oppressed. Right? He came from heaven to earth. He performed many miracles. He ministered to those who were sick. He came to seek and save the lost. He declared the Father in his earthly ministry. You see, because he was about, even at a young age of 12, he was about his father's business, wasn't he? And Luke gets more specific on what Jesus did here in just a moment. What did he teach? Well, let me give you a little sampling. Again, from the former account. That's what we're talking about here. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Isn't that interesting? Because I read a Deuteronomy passage and it said that very same thing. Jesus spoke those very same words. Luke chapter 4, verse 4. Or, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Luke 4, verse 8. Or, Luke 6, 27. Love your enemies, and do good to those who hate you. Luke 6, 28. Bless those who curse you, and pray for those who spitefully use you. Luke 6, 31. Just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Or, be merciful, just as your heavenly Father is merciful. Luke 6, 36. Or, Luke 6, 44. Every tree is known by its fruit. Luke 8, 18, take heed how you hear. Luke 8, 21, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Luke 9, 23, deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. Luke 11, 1 through 4, begins our Father in heaven, right? Jesus says this is how then he modeled, he taught them how to pray. Seek the kingdom and all these things shall be added to you, Luke 12, 31. Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish, Luke 13, 1 through 5. Strive to enter through the narrow gate, Luke 13, 24. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted, Luke 14, verse 11. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple, Luke 14, 27. No servant can serve two masters, Luke 16, 13. How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Luke 18, 24. Jesus says, my house is a house of prayer. Luke 19, verse 46. Luke 20, 25. Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. You see, he even teaches about our duty and responsibility in this country that we live. Right? Our, our civic duty, if you will. 
And then we see the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. You see, he taught about what was going to happen to him. The Bible communicates the message of all that Jesus began to do and teach. The message Jesus communicated came directly from his Father. Everything he did, each word he spoke, came directly from the will of the Father. Church, what message do you communicate about the faith you hold to? What message do you communicate? Is it the same message taught by Jesus? How you communicate this message to others is important. It's important. You know, I, I was thinking about that as I was thinking about the message we communicate. Because, you know, it's amazing how often the Lord gives, provides examples for me and what, what I'm doing and ties it into the scripture. I, I love that. If you get tired of me talking about that, I'm sorry, I apologize. But I see so many connections. I see so many connections. And I pray that you would see connections in your own life, in your own vocation, where you're at and where the Lord has planted you. But you know, in the game, I, I, I'm, I'm taught to use what's called federation mechanics. Well, all that is, it means this, that whether I live in Indiana or California or Florida or Alaska, it doesn't matter, anywhere in the 50 states of the United States, I ought to be able to go and when whistle blows and there's a travel, I ought to be able to see this. That's, that's uniform. That's standard for travel. That means you violated. That means you no longer get the ball. That means the other team now gets the ball. Okay? There are standard mechanics, signals, if you will. When you blow your whistle, you are immediately communicating. And communicating, it becomes very important. You see, this common language with which we're to communicate, when you don't communicate on the court using the right mechanics or signals, you can distort things pretty quickly. And while it's important to communicate a clear message as an official, it is imperative for you to sound forth a clear message of the faith upon which you stand. Can you articulate the very things you believe about Jesus? Can you communicate the message in a way that reveals your love for Jesus and your passion for his word. As the psalmist says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Is that true of you? Do you think much of his word? Are you able to give someone a reason for the hope that lies within you? When's the last time you communicated the message of Jesus with someone? Luke's not done speaking about this former account. Verse 2. Until the day in which he was taken up. Luke's gospel is an account of all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. Now, the reference to being taken up is, is pointing toward the ascension, right? Right? 
The ascension? The ascension is not an afterthought, church. It's, it's not simply the curtain call for Jesus' earthly ministry. There he goes. The ascension was necessary, according to Jesus, in order that the other counselor might come. You remember that? We, we talked a little bit about that in John's gospel a few weeks back. John 16. Jesus says, if I depart, I will send him to you. He won't come as long as I'm here, but if I depart, I'll send him to you. You know, it's interesting to note that the ascension is where Luke ends his gospel account. The ascension is also at the beginning of the Acts account. In Acts 1, 9 through 11. One writer says that the ascension was the watershed between the two phases, earthly and heavenly, of the ministry of Jesus Christ. So the foundation rests upon a person and the foundation communicates a message, a clear message about this person. But I think there's one more thing here in the text that would be helpful for us to see. The foundation is central to the course of human history. The foundation is central to the course of human history. History is much more than a beloved school subject. How many of you here enjoy studying history? Good. Probably have your own categories of history that are your favorites, right? Like, how many World War I, World War II folks like studying that period? Anybody? Okay, a few of you like that. Right. Okay. Civil War. Revolutionary. See, there's some good stuff. Right? Lots of points on the timeline, if you will, of history that are a great joy and delight to be able to not only study but also see providentially how the Lord orchestrated these things in history. I'd like to maybe ask the question as well, especially to those of you who enjoy history. For what purpose do you hold it so dearly? You know, I, I trust that for every believer in Jesus, the greatest marker on the timeline of history is Jesus coming into the world to deal with the sins of men once for all. You see, Jesus lived a relatively short period of time, didn't he? When you look at that huge continuum of history, and you find there on that continuum, and you can boop, put the, bolt, the little blip right there, Jesus came, and he wasn't here very long, here, he wasn't here very long. And yet his life and subsequent death impact every culture, every race, every tribe, every nation, every time period. And from what I'm understanding, there are some, perhaps some tribes who have not yet heard, but we're working on it, aren't we? The foundation I'm speaking of this morning is historical like none other. You see, the foundation recorded in the scriptures, the one alluded to by Luke as the former account, is central to the course of human history. Lives 
that are drawn to Jesus are never the same. Lives that are drawn to Jesus are never the same. See, the heroes of the faith, they're set before us in Hebrews chapter 11. Their lives were different because of the foundation set before them. And we're going to be reading about a group of men here in the book of Acts whose lives were forever changed as a result of this very foundation. As a result of this historical reality. Tell me, is there any resemblance between the apostles in the book of Acts and the way you live your life today? If you profess, that is, to be a Christian. In other words, do you live in such a way that would reflect these words right here to be true? Because lives that are drawn to Jesus are never the same. Amen for that. I don't want to be the same. I can think back and look back on some of the things in my life. I don't, I'm glad I don't want to, I'm not continuing those things. I'm grateful to the Lord for how he has drawn me apart from some of those things. I give him the praise for that. That's not me, that's him doing that work in me. If this foundation is central to the course of human history, then it plays no favorites. It's not for just a spiritual elite group of people, not for some inner circle, but for whoever believes in Jesus, right? It's intended for those who see their need for a savior. It's provided to deal with your sin problem. Contrary to what might be heard today, there is a sin problem. There's a sin problem. It needs to be dealt with. It goes all the way back to the first book of the Bible. The good news of this historical foundation is that sin's double cure. Remember the song, The Double Cure? The power and the guilt of sin. It's taken care of through the person of Jesus. Or what about the hymn, Jesus paid it all? All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain in what Jesus did. He washed it white as snow. Look at those details in Acts 1, 2, and 3. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Notice that Jesus patterns for us how we are to operate. Jesus did all that he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. Did he not? He himself gives us the example of how we're to operate. Yes, he spoke words given to him by the Father. All that he did was from the will of the Father, but it was carried out in the power of the Holy Spirit. In like manner, we're to be doing the very same thing as we live here. The Holy Spirit would be the catalyst behind all that we do, all that we say. Holy Spirit. 
And you know what's interesting is that power in the book of Acts is about to make itself available to those who believe. And interestingly enough, here we are some 2,000 plus years removed and that same power is still available today. Still available. The church has been given everything she needs for godliness and life in the spirit. You see, we're called individually, no doubt, to walk in the spirit. But we're also called collectively to keep in step with the spirit. That the church is to do this together. We're connected. Parts of the body. Many commandments Jesus gave his apostles and by extension gives to us even yet today. Just before going to the cross, he spoke to them about loving one another. You remember that? Just before ascending, he spoke to them about making disciples of all nations and he reminded them that he would remain with them to accomplish these very things. The presence and power of Jesus would accompany these men long after Jesus ascended. And that would happen through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You see, one of his roles is to point you to the very things of Christ. He is all about declaring the name of Jesus. And if that's so, then it's good to ask the question, is the Spirit of Christ in you? If declaring the name of Jesus is a difficult or awkward thing for you, Have you considered that it is the Spirit who points you toward Christ to speak of Him? If you do not have the Spirit of Christ in you, that might explain why you speak so little of Jesus. You see, the Spirit, listen to this, the Spirit can't help but speak of Jesus. Church, this might be a hard word. But there ought to be something coming out of here, rooted right here and here. Our love for the Lord. Speaking. Remember what Jesus says about being ashamed of him and his words? I don't don't want to be there. I don't want to be that, that, that person. When he comes back, will he really find faith? You see, Jesus' ministry, one writer, Jesus' ministry in the Spirit, in the Spirit's power, demonstrates the pattern for believers. says the Holy Spirit is the source of power for believers' ministry and enables them to obey their, Lord, that, their Lord's teaching. That's key, right? The source of power for believers' ministry and enables them to obey their Lord's teaching. Some of you might be sitting here... I'd like to obey. I want to obey. Well, maybe part of the problem is you've lost sight of the source of the power. The source of the power is the Holy Spirit. See, we can want to and we can try and we can try and we can try real hard. But that's not the biblical pattern for how this works. You trying harder. 
He gave commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive. What's Luke pointing toward here? He's directing your attention to the foundations of your faith. His suffering is a direct reference to the cross. Presenting himself alive is the resurrection. You see, the foundation rests upon a person. The foundation communicates a message about this person. And here are some historical pegs Luke provides. Jesus died on a cross. Jesus was raised from the dead. The cross is at the center of the foundation. If someone took away the cross or they took away the resurrection, the faith in which you stand would be futile. You would remain yet today in your sins, without hope, without God, destined for a place the Bible calls hell. For the wages of sin is death. Reminded of the words to the song. It's about the cross. It's about my sin. It's about how Jesus came to be born once so that we could be born again. It's about that stone that was rolled away so that you and I could have real life today. It's about the cross. I want you to notice that Luke, the historian, includes the phrase by many infallible or unmistakable proofs being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15 speaks of the many visible proofs Jesus gave following his resurrection. He was seen by the apostles after dying. Think about that for just a moment. And he spoke about the kingdom of God during the course of his 40 days on earth post-resurrection. When you read the book of Luke, this former account, you can't miss this one. That was one thing I highlighted, and I was jotting down scriptures as I was reading through. All the times he, this phrase, so if you read the Luke's gospel this week, read it through the lens of, of looking at how often Luke records the phrase, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. He's talking about the kingdom of God. Over 20 times, it's there. It's, it's, it's there quite often, okay? So then you ask the question, well, what is that kingdom of God? Well, just to put a simple hand, hold on it. Uh, the, the reign and rule of God. Okay? When, when the text says that he spent his 40 days speaking about the kingdom of God, one writer com- uh, he commented, he said that he taught them more truth related to the divine rule over the hearts of believers. He was encouraging them about eternal matters. He was encouraging them to remain strong in the faith, to remember the foundations upon which they stand. Jesus himself spoke of the kingdom being near them, didn't he, when he was there? Jesus spoke about seeking first the kingdom of God. If that's what we pursue. You see, there's a day coming when Jesus will return. As we think about the kingdom of God, it speaks to some Old Testament ideas that no doubt are expressed as you read through the Old Testament. You see God as king. He's Lord over all. But you also see in the Old Testament God's rule opposed, don't you? Even from his own people who were walking in rebellion, who were clamoring after other things and content with idolatry. 
The Bible declares that a day is coming. Because of this day coming, the Bible calls the church to be about exhorting one another daily. This day's coming. The king is going to reign over all creation, all humanity. We're going to recognize the Philippians. I like the Philippians. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There's going to be a day. Paul says, therefore, we make it our aim to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Knowing, therefore, the terror or the judgment of the Lord, we persuade men. And this is exactly what you see in the book of Acts as it unfolds. The apostles believed the message communicated by Jesus. The foundation of Jesus was sufficient for the apostles. One evidence of that comes in Acts chapter 2 when the church devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine. You remember that? They devoted themselves to four things. One of them is the apostles' doctrine. It's Christ's doctrine handed down to the apostles, a doctrine embraced and absorbed as their own. The apostles lived as though this message were true. Fast forward. We're just about done. Fast forward to the end of Acts. I'm going to read the last two verses. I'm not going to give a lot of content, context, but I just want to read these two verses. And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house. Remember, he's in house arrest. And received all who came to him. Preaching the kingdom of God. There it is. And teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. No one forbidding him. Church, the scriptures impress upon us today the need to preach these foundational truths, the need to speak of the kingdom of God, to address the rule and reign of Jesus, the need to teach others the things that concern your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to speak with all confidence. If I could do one thing this morning, just encourage you and exhort you to speak with all confidence. What can man do? Speak. For the sake of Christ, speak. I was reminded about that period of time I was down under the house in that crawl space looking at the foundation and I you know I don't know that anybody ha- I don't, if you know somebody let me know but I, I don't know of anybody who has a like a clean crawl space it's pretty dirty down there a lot of cobwebs stuff crawling around I'm not big on crawling around stuff. Some of you guys already know that, right? But you know, as I was crawling around, I was, I'm reminded in light of this, this text, to, to, just a praise to the Lord that I don't have to live down in that crawl space. I don't have to live down there. 
I get to live a level up. There's some walls for protection. There's a floor to walk on. I don't have to crawl. I can stand. There's an air conditioner. There's a heater that provides comfort. Church, the foundation of your faith rests upon the person of Jesus. Jesus is the one who made a way for you to have everlasting life because he was willing, he was willing to go low. He was willing to serve, to, as the Bible says, to give his life a ransom, to redeem you. He was willing to die that you might have life. He was willing to be so uncomfortable, Philippians says, uncomfortable to the point of death. For your sake, for my sake. That's what our Jesus did. The foundation of your faith communicates the message of the cross and the empty tomb. And this foundation is central. It's central on the vast timeline of human history. No one is exempt from having to deal with the person upon whom this foundation rests. You see, because Jesus changes everything. The book of Acts is yet another book that will put on display this very truth. So, warning, warning, warning. This book very well could be contagious. Let's pray. Father, it is good. It's good to be in your house. It's good to have your word open. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the foundation. These, these foundational truths upon which we stand. Uh, Father, I, I just pray that this morning there was some clarity brought to some of the, the basics of the faith for which we contend. May we be reminded, refreshed, renewed this morning of what these basic foundational truths are. May these words cause us to go back and and look at your word, to ask of you what you would have us to know and how we might live this life that you've given to us, how we might steward it well for your glory. I pray we would remember that this foundation rests upon a person named Jesus. That we would remember that the foundation communicates a message about this person, Jesus. We would remember and recall and speak quite often of the cross and the resurrection and the difference that those two events make. That we would remember that foundation provided for us in the Gospels, in all of Scripture, the foundation points to a a point on the timeline. It's a central point on that timeline of human history. There is not one person here who can escape that very timeline event. Oh, Father, I pray today that as we have heard your word, Lord, that we would truly be changed. That as our lives are drawn to you through Jesus, that we would desire for our lives to be different that we would desire for our lives to be changed. 
that, Lord, as we see the change, as we see the fruit that comes out of the change, Lord, that we might then be able just to give you praise and give you glory and thanksgiving for what you've done in and through us. The power of the Holy Spirit reminding us, speaking to us the very words of Jesus himself. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.